Hello, and welcome to the Leaders in Learning Design podcast by Blue Consulting and Resourcing, the place to get up-to-the-minute information for cutting-edge learning design. Today, Graham and I are going to be talking about managing learning activities. Graham, they are so vitally important for the world in which we find ourselves in today, aren't they? In the virtual world, I think that's that's right, Joanne. And, you know, to be really honest, I don't think they're being very well done in this virtual world. I really don't. What do you think that is? If I'm being cynical, I think it's because the facilitator takes a break. You know, these virtual workshops are are intense for a facilitator. People are delivering these, the strain and the challenge of keeping your eye on chat, pressing all the right buttons. When it gets to a learning activity, I think the instinct of a facilitator in the virtual world is to go, relax, take a deep breath and and maybe either get a coffee or or check their email, to be perfectly honest. I, I think that's really missing the point and missing the opportunity because I honestly think that learning activity time when we've got participants in a workshop doing something ironically I think that's the most important time for the facilitator in the workshop I think that's way more important than when they are facilitating or talking themselves absolutely hugely important I agree with you, Graham, but I think part of it might also be habit. If you've been a face-to-face facilitator, I know for myself, I walk around the group, I'm listening in, but it is a break for me because I'm sort of in the moment switching from group to group, just sort of being a fly on the wall, if you will. It's habit. Um, so deeply ingrained for us as we sort of have had that break in the past. But I agree with you. In a virtual workshop, this is not the time to be leaning back in your chair and just sort of regrouping. Absolutely not. And, you know, there's that quote from uh, Tiagi, isn't there, where uh, he says, uh, if you're not going to debrief a learning activity properly, don't even bother doing it. And I think that applies to the whole learning activity thing. If you're not going to apply yourself as a facilitator, if you're not going to set it up properly, if you're not going to monitor it properly, and you're not going to debrief it properly, you may as well just skip it and just keep on talking. I honestly feel as strongly as that about it. I couldn't agree more. We seem to have forgotten that monitoring the activity the way we did in the classroom by walking around is facilitated by us jumping from breakout room to breakout room and really monitoring. But what do you mean, Graham, about setup? Talk to me a little bit more about that. Well, I literally mean what the facilitator says and does before the participants begin the activity. And and, and I think there is so much that could and should be done the facilitators tend not to. What I mean by that, if we don't set up the activity properly, the likelihood is the participants are going to struggle and and they're going to struggle potentially to figure out what is expected of them because the process has not been explained. We haven't put enough effort as a facilitator on explaining the process, the steps they're going to have to go through. 
the product, you know, the, the output, what it is that's expected. But something that I think people really miss when they're facilitating or setting up an activity, they don't stress the purpose, the reason. I mean, I, I hear facilitators say, so we're going to do an activity now. Uh, we're going to do an activity is not a setup. And it's not even good enough to say, I would like us, I would like you to. That's not the point. The point is why? Why are we doing something? And I think a good setup explains the three P's, the, the purpose, the reason for the activity, why, or if you like, what's in it for me from the point of view of the participant, the purpose, the process, and the products. We've got to be very clear in describing those or else the minute we send people off into virtual rooms, the minute we send them off, they'll struggle, they'll be lost. They'll say to each other, what, what were they saying? What are we meant to be doing? I hear that so often, <laughs> not in our workshops, but I hear it generally. I see it when I'm observing and, and when, I'm, when I'm sitting in on workshops. It, it, it's a sad fact. The, the setup just isn't done well enough. I've seen the same thing, Graham. And it's not on the slides when they're in the virtual workshop itself. So they don't know why they're doing it. They don't know how they're going to get to that result. And then often not very clear on what that end result is. So if they didn't grab a screenshot, when they go into the room, the first thing they say is, so what are we doing again? And that's a useless use of time. Oh, that's actually an interesting idea because you could encourage participants to take a screenshot of instructions and to take that into the workshop with them. I've seen you do that, Joanne. I think that's a that's a good practice. But by and large, when it isn't done, that's the risk we run, that people get into that room. And, and you mentioned the idea of monitoring before. If you're in a, a real classroom situation, what we used to do was we would send people out to breakout rooms, either to a different corner or a different room. And then what would we do? We'd, we'd take ourselves off to those rooms. We'd, we'd pop our head in and we'd pop our head in just to make sure that things were going well. I see fewer virtual facilitators actually doing that than they might have done in the real classroom world. You know, they don't go into breakout rooms. And, you know, you and I have kind of made it a rule that that's exactly what we will do. We will go in as we would have done into a real breakout room, we'll go into the virtual breakout room and we'll be present. We'll be present so that we can we can check that things are going as they should. We can possibly intervene if we need to, to help correct. Or most importantly, when we go into those rooms to monitor, we can gather information that we're going to use when it comes to debrief. There's nothing more powerful than being able to say, well, what I heard in room number two was interesting discussion about X, Y, Z. What I heard Brian saying in room three, that really, really beefs up the quality of debrief. It preps you if you monitor properly. So set it up properly and monitor it properly. I love what you're saying about monitoring. And I have heard uh, from some of the facilitators that we've trained that they don't like going into those breakout rooms because it reconfigures their screen setup. 
they lose their participant window and their chat window, and they feel a bit discombobulated when they come back. And because it puts them sort of a bit flat-footed, they they're resistant. So they understand the value, but because it inconveniences them in a, a technological way that they resist doing it. Do you have any tips for them on that, Graham? Well, I think just from a, a technology point of view, I mean, you and I use Zoom a lot and Zoom obviously allows the facilitator to go to the breakout room as people have been divided into these syndicate groups. Um, I, I think from a technical point of view, you just got to be very clear to remember that when you come back into the main room you've got to reshare your screen it's it's the simplest of disciplines when you remember it but a lot of times you know we ourselves occasionally used to struggle with that figuring out why nobody can see your screen anymore well because as soon as you enter the breakout room you lost that so when you come back into the main room just reshare your screen. Reshare your screen, and ideally, I think, be in that main room just before you close the breakouts and have your screen shared in the main room, ready to receive back the participants from the breakout rooms. I think that's just basic good, good room management and uh, something that we just kind of get used to. It's just a little, little discipline. I like that tip, Graham. That's really helpful. One of the things that I do myself is I try and get out of the breakout rooms about a minute or two before I intend to close them so I can reconfigure my screen and be ready to welcome them back. Another thing that I've uh, found has really helped me is that I actually have a set of standard responses in a Word document um, that I can message out to folks in the breakout room reminding them uh, what they should be doing, how long they have, um, and, and just encouraging them to do the right kinds of interactions. And I can broadcast those messages out during the learning activity. That's worked well for me. No, I, I think that's a really good practice. It, it really is. It, it, it keeps people on track. You know, if you've got an activity that has got two parts to it, midway through you're able to send out that broadcast message saying for example now is the time for you to have switched roles or now is the time for you to be thinking about part two just those little steers which is even we, we couldn't do that in the classroom we would have had to scream our heads off from the main room to get that information out to all three rooms together but here in zoom or in tools like zoom you can get that message out through broadcast as you say it's really neat. Yep. One other thing I found works well for me when I'm monitoring activities in the breakout room is I go into the room with my camera turned off. Um, it allows me to be a little bit of a lurker. So I don't jump in as the screen um, pops up my video. And it allows the conversation to continue quite organically. And I can listen in. Now, folks often say, oh, Dr. Bentley just joined our breakout room and they'll call attention to it. But I don't have to call attention to the fact that I dropped in to listen. And it's probably not a bad idea to almost 
set the expectation that you'll be in the room. So I'll be popping into the room. I'm not necessarily going to be saying anything and just continue as if I wasn't there. Just to, I think that's not a bad practice to mention so you don't startle a group by suddenly barging in, even with your camera off. It's probably the best way to do it, I think. Yep, I agree. Um, it, I include that kind of introduction in the setup so they know what to expect. Absolutely. So, Graham, is when we're debriefing, is it always critical to uh, draw out the learning? Does every activity, learning activity, when we're breaking them out into breakout rooms, require that debrief? Talk to me a little bit about the the common facilitator saying that says, "So, how did that go?" <laughs> What, what personally, I just think that's such a cop-out debrief. How did that go is, for me, quite honestly, a non-debrief. What I'm really hoping is that when we're debriefing, and, and, and to go back to your earlier question, I think not every activity, we can think of activities that are icebreaker activities or whatever that may not have key learnings to pull out, but the vast majority will have. And when there are learnings to be drawn out, then I don't think, how did that go? What problems did you have? Are really insightful questions. I think that I would advise or recommend learning facilitators to, to ask questions, if you like, at three levels. And I say levels, kind of referencing back to Bloom's taxonomy, to be honest, saying that you ask questions, first of all, to test uh, recall recollection information. So, so what happened here? What, what did you learn? What, what came out? What, what problems did you have? How did you figure it out? Those kind of questions. And then you progress from those kind of questions. Say, oh, okay, so why did that happen? Why is that important? Why does that matter? What's the value in what we just talked about, just learned, just experienced. So you build, if you like, you stair-step beyond the recollection, remembering questions into the understanding questions. And then crucially, where it's appropriate, you go one step higher into the application questions. So you say, so if that's the case, what value are you going to get from that? And how are you going to use that and apply that in reality? That's what you learned. That's why it's important. How are you going to use that? And that for me is a simple stair step of questions that is so much more useful than how did it go? And certainly a long way or hopefully a whole lot more meaningful than, oh, Good job, because good job is never a good closeout to a debrief report back either. We've got to be really much more thoughtful about the questions and much more constructive about the feedback that we offer to people as an output or as an outcome of a learning activity. It's, it's easy for you and I to talk about this, Joanne, but I do think facilitators often overlook it. I couldn't agree more.
it seems like we have a real struggle with trying to figure out why the learner actually engaged in the activity and good job isn't enough. If we can summarize what we think they should have gotten out of it in a, a sentence or two, it leaves them feeling like they constructed their own meaning and that it was in alignment with what you as the facilitator wanted them to get out of the activity. Even if it's not in an exact alignment, if it's meaningful to them, it has value. And from a psychology standpoint, if we can get them to write something down, um, whether it's on their notes uh, or on a post-it or in a workbook, it takes it to the next level and it anchors it much more deeply. Now, talk to me a little bit about, Graham, you've gotten quite excited recently about writing it down in another way. Well, talk yeah. Talk to me about annotation. We, we, we've used annotate a lot of late it, it, it's become if you like the trademark way to wrap up a learning module where you basically say so what's the key takeaway for you what's the key message what are you getting from that activity and and, and we literally show uh, a, a, a blank screen uh, a slide a projected slide and the annotate tool in zoom is a really brilliant way for people to capture, to record, and then display their takeaway. So people are able through Zoom, and we show people how to do this at the start of the workshop, they're able to annotate those comments. And as you say, when they've written them down, in this case, not only does it help them, but I think it really helps the other participants as well. I think facilitators should encourage this because it encourages individual learners to share collectively the learning points. Even if it's only a different way of saying the same thing, it just consistently reinforces and drives home the key message from any activity or any module. That annotate tool is something that I don't think a lot of facilitators are using enough and it is so easy. And when I say it's easy in technology terms, you know it really is easy. I wouldn't profess to be the technical guru and the button pressing expert, but even I figured out annotate quite quickly. And you can show somebody how to do it in less than 10 seconds. And it's a hugely useful little tool, I think. Well, and it's such an easy way to upgrade your learning activity, to get the maximum value out of your debrief that I think facilitators just need to reach into that space because managing learning activities is actually the most important role a learning facilitator has. It is so easy to miss the opportunity and be tempted to take a break when you as the fa facilitator really should be working your hardest. Now, if you want to know more about this and how to be a good facilitator, you can learn to better manage learning activities in a variety of ways. Check out one of BCR's virtual facilitation workshops. Contact us at BCR to get a copy of our virtual facilitator cheat sheet for managing learning activities. Just email Graham or myself at either graham at blueresourcing.com or joanne.bentley at blueresourcing.com. You'll see those emails in the transcript of this podcast. Thanks for joining us today, folks. 
Thanks, Graham. Appreciate your insights. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for joining us today, folks. You've been listening to Leaders in Learning Design podcast at Blue Consulting and Resourcing, a weekly podcast for cutting edge learning design.